Exile, Chapter 17 A Delicate Balance Belwar studied his latest foe carefully, sensing some familiarity with the armored beast's appearance. Had he befriended such a creature before? He wondered. Whatever doubts the Swiftnebling Gladiator may have had, though, could not break into the deep gnomed consciousness, for Belwar's illithid master continued its insidious streams of telepathic deceptions. Kill it, my brave companion, the illithid pleaded from its perch in the stands. It is your enemy, most assuredly, and it shall bring harm to me if you do not kill it. The hook horror, much larger than Belwar's lost friend, charged the Swift Nedlin, having no reservations about making a meal of the Deep Gnome. Belwar coiled his stubby legs under him and waited for the precise moment. As the hook horror bore down on him, its clawed hands wide to prevent him from dodging to the side, Belwar sprang straight ahead, his hammer hand leading the way right up into the monster's chest. Cracks ran all through the Hokar's exoskeleton from the sheer force of the blow, and the monster swooned as it continued forward. Belwar's flight made a quick reversal, for the Hokar's weight and momentum was much greater than the Swerfneblin's. He felt his shoulders snap out of joint, and he, too, nearly fainted from the sudden agony. Again, the callings of Belwar's illithid master overruled his thoughts, and even his pain. The gladiators crashed together in a heap, Belwar buried beneath the monster's bulk, the hook horror's encumbering size preventing it from getting its arms at the burrow warden, but it had other weapons. A wicked beak dived in at Belwar. The deep no managed to get his pickaxe hand in its path, but still the hook horror's giant head pushed on, twisting Belwar's arm backward. The hungry beak snapped and twisted barely an inch from the burrow warden's face. Throughout the stands of the large arena, Illithids jumped about and chatted excitedly, both in their telepathic mode and their gurgling, watery voices. Fingers wiggled in opposition to clenched fists as the mind flares prematurely tried to collect on bets. Belwar's master, fearing the loss of its champion, called out to the Hokar's master, Do you yield? it asked, trying to make his thoughts appear confident. The other illithid turned away smugly and shut down its telepathic receptacles. Belwar's master could only watch. The hookar could not drive any closer. The Swerfneblin's arm was locked against the stone at the elbow, the mithril pickaxe firmly holding back the monster's deadly beak. The hookar reverted to a different tactic, raising its head free of Belwar's hand in a sudden jerking movement. Belwar's warrior intuition saved him at that moment for the hook horror reversed suddenly and the deadly beak dived back in. The normal reaction and expected defense would have been to swipe the monster's head to the side with the pickaxe hand. The hook horror anticipated such a counter, and Belwar anticipated that it would. Belwar threw his arm across in front of him, but shortened its reach so that the pickaxe passed well below the hook horror's plunging beak. The monster, meanwhile, believing that Belwar was attempting to strike a blow, stopped its dive exactly as it had planned. But the mithril pickaxe reversed its direction much quicker than the monster anticipated. Belwar's backhand caught the hook horror right behind the beak and snapped its head to the side. Then, ignoring the searing pain from his injured shoulder, Belwar curled his other arm at the elbow and punched out. There was no strength behind the blow. 
but at that moment, the hookar came back around the pickaxe and opened its beak for a bite at the deep gnome's exposed face, just in time to catch a mithril hammer instead. Belwar's hand wedged far back in the hookar's mouth, opening the beak more than it was designed to open. The monster jerked wildly, trying to free itself, each sudden twist sending waves of pain down the burrow warden's wounded arm. Belwar responded with equal fury, whacking again and again at the side of the hook horror's head with his free hand. Blood oozed down the giant beak as the pickaxe dug in. Do you yield? Belwar's master now shouted in a watery voice at the hook horror's master. The question was premature again, however, for down in the arena, the armored hookar was far from defeated. It used another weapon, its sheer weight. The monster ground its chest into the lying deep gnome, trying simply to crush the life out of him. Do you yield? The hookar's master retorted, seeing the unexpected turn of events. Belwar's pickaxe caught the hookar's eye, and the monster howled in agony. Illithids jumped and pointed, wiggling their fingers and clenching and unclenching their fists. Both masters of the gladiators understood how much they had to lose. Would either participant ever be fit to fight again if the battle was allowed to continue? Perhaps we should consider a draw, Belwar's master offered telepathically. The other Illithid readily agreed. Both masters sent messages down to their champions. It took several brutal moments to calm the fires of rage and end the contest, but eventually the Illithid's suggestions overruled the gladiator's savage instincts and survival. Suddenly, both the Deep Gnome and the Hookhar felt an affinity for each other, and when the Hookhar arose, it lent a claw to the Shrift Neblin to help him to his feet. A short while later, Belwar sat on the single stone bench in the tiny, unadorned cell just inside the tunnel of the circular arena. The Burrow Warden's hammer-wielding arm had gone completely numb, and a gruesome purplish-blue bruise covered his entire shoulder. Many days would pass before Belwar would be able to compete in the arena again, and it troubled him deeply that he would not soon please his master. The Illithid came to him to inspect the damage. It had potions that could help him heal, but even with the magical aid, Belwar obviously needed time to rest. The Mind Flare had other uses for the Shrifneblin, though. A cubby in its private quarters needed completing. Come, the Illithid bade Belwar, and the Burrow Warden jumped to his feet and rushed out, respectfully remaining astride behind his master. A kneeling drow caught Belwar's attention as the Mind Flare led him through the bottom level of the central tower. How fortunate the Dark Elf was to be able to touch and bring pleasure to the central brain of the community. Belwar then thought no more of it, though, as he made the ascent to the structure's third level and to the suite of rooms that his masters shared. The other two Illithids sat in their chairs, motionless and appearing lifeless. Belwar's master paid little heed to the spectacle. It knew that its companions were far away on their astral travels and that their corporeal bodies were quite safe. The Mind Flare did pause to wonder, for just a moment, how his companions fared in their distant plane. Like all Illithids, Belwar's master enjoyed astral travel, but pragmatism, a definite Illithid trait, kept the creature's thoughts on the business at hand. It had made a large investment in buying Belwar, an investment it was not willing to lose. The Mind Flare led Belwar into the back room and sat him down on an unremarkable stone table. Then, suddenly, 
the Illithid bombarded Belwar with telepathic suggestions and questions, probing as it roughly set the injured shoulder and applied wrappings. Mind flares could invade a creature's thoughts on first contact, either with their stunning blow or with telepathic communications. But it could take ten days, even months, for an Illithid to fully dominate its slave. Each encounter broke down more of the slave's natural resistance to the Illithid's mental insinuations, revealed more of the slave's memories and emotions. Belwar's master was determined to know everything about this curious Frifneblin, about his strange, crafted hands, and about the unusual company he chose to keep. This time, during the telepathic exchange, the Illithid focused on the mithril hands, for it sensed that Belwar was not performing up to his capabilities. The Illithid's thoughts probed and prodded, and some time later fell into a deep corner of Belwar's mind and learned a curious chant. Bifrip, it questioned Belwar. Simply on reflex, the Burrow Warden banged his hands together, then winced in pain from the shock of the blow. The Illithid's fingers and tentacles wiggled eagerly. It had touched upon something important it knew, something that could make its champion even stronger. If the Mind Flare allowed Belwar the memory of the chant, however, it would give back to the Surfneblin a part of himself, a conscious memory of his days before slavery. The Illithid handed Belwar still another healing potion, then glanced around to inspect its wares. If Belwar was to continue as a gladiator, he would have to face the Hukar again in the arena. By Illithid rules, a rematch was required after a draw. Belwar's master doubted that the Surfneblin would survive another battle against the armored champion, unless... Dinan Duarden paced his lizard mount through the region of Menjbaranzan's lesser houses, the most congested section of the city. He kept the cowl of his pivifui pulled low about his face and bore no insignia revealing him as a noble of a ruling house. Secrecy was Dinan's ally both from the watching eyes of this dangerous section of the city and from the disapproving glares of his mother and sister. Dinan had survived long enough to understand the dangers of complacency. He lived in a state that bordered on paranoia. He never knew when Malice and Breeza might be watching. A group of bugbears sauntered out of the walking lizard's way. Fury swept through the proud elder boy of House Duarden at the slave's casual manner. Dinan's hand went instinctively to the whip on his belt. Dinan wisely checked his rage, though, reminding himself of the possible consequences of being revealed. He turned another of the many sharp corners and moved down through a row of connected stalagmite mounts. So, you have found me, came a familiar voice from behind and to the side. Surprised and afraid, Dinan stopped his mount and froze in his saddle. He knew that a dozen tiny crossbows, at least, were trained on him. Slowly, Dinan turned his head to watch Starlaxle's approach. Out here in the shadows, the mercenary seemed much different from the overly polite and compliant drow Dinan had known in House Duarden. Or perhaps it was just the specter of the two sword-wielding drow guards standing by Jarlaxle's sides, and Dinan's own realization that he didn't have Matron Malice around to protect him. One should ask permission before entering another's house. Charlaxle said calmly, but with definite threatening undertones. Common courtesy. I am out in the open streets, Dinan reminded him. Charlaxle's smile denied the logic. My house. 
Dinan remembered his station, and the thoughts inspired some courage. Should a noble of a ruling house then ask Jarlaxle's permission before leaving his front gate? The elder boy growled. And what of matron Ben Ray, who would not enter the least of Menzoboranza's houses without seeking permission from the appropriate matron mother? Should matron Ben Ray, too, ask permission of Jarlaxle, the houseless rogue? Dinan realized that he might be carrying the insult a bit too far, but his pride demanded the words. Jarlaxle relaxed visibly, and the smile that came to his face almost appeared sincere. "'So you have found me,' he said again, this time dipping into his customary bow. "'State your purpose, and be done with it.' Dinan crossed his arms over his chest belligerently, gaining confidence at the mercenary's apparent concessions. "'Are you so certain that I was looking for you?' Jarlaxle exchanged grins with his two guards. Snickers from unseen soldiers in the shadows of the lane stole a good measure of Dinan's budding confidence. "'State your business, elder boy,' Jarlaxle said more pointedly, "'and be done with it.' Dinan was more than willing to complete this encounter as quickly as possible. "'I require information concerning Zincarla,' he said bluntly. The spirit wraith of Zachnafane has walked the underdock for many days, too many, perhaps. Jarlaxle's eyes narrowed as he followed the elder boy's reasoning. Matron Malice sent you to me, he stated as much as asked. Dinan shook his head, and Jarlaxle did not doubt his sincerity. You are wise, as you are skilled in the blade, the mercenary offered graciously, slipping into a second bow, one that seemed somehow ambiguous out here in Jarlaxle's dark world. "'I have come of my own initiative,' Dinan said firmly. "'I must find some answers. "'Are you afraid, elder boy?' "'Concerned,' Dinan replied sincerely, ignoring the mercenary's taunting tone. "'I never make the error of underestimating my enemies or my allies.' Jarlaxle cast him a confused glance. "'I know what my brother has become,' Dinan explained, "'and I know who Zachnafane once was. "'Zachnafane is a spirit wraith now,' Jarlaxle replied, "'under the control of Matron Malice.' "'Many days,' Dinan said quietly, "'believing the implications of his words spoke loudly enough. "'Your mother asked for Zincarla.' Jarlaxa retorted, a bit sharply, "'It is Loth's greatest gift, given only so that the Spider Queen is pleased in return. Matron Malice knew the risk when she requested Zincarla. Surely you understand, elder boy, that spirit wraiths are given for the completion of a specific task. And what are the consequences of failure?' Dinan asked bluntly, "'matching Jarlaxle's perturbed attitude. "'The mercenary's incredulous stare "'was all the answer Dinan needed. "'How long does Zachnafane have?' "'Dinan asked. "'Jarlaxle shrugged noncommittally "'and answered with a question of his own. "'Who can guess at Loth's plans?' he asked. "'The Spider Queen can be a patient one "'if the gain is great enough to justify the weight. "'Is Drizzt's value such?' Again, the mercenary shrugged. 
That is for Loth, and for Loth alone to decide. Dinan studied Jarlaxle for a long moment, until he was certain that the mercenary had nothing left to offer him. Then he turned back to his lizard mount and pulled the cowl of his piwafui low. When he regained his saddle, Dinan spun about, thinking to issue one final comment, but the mercenary and his guards were nowhere to be found. Bivrip! Belwar cried, completing the spell. The burrow warden banged his hands together again, and this time did not wince, for the pain was not so intense. Sparks flew when the mithril hands crashed together, and Belwar's master clapped its four-fingered hands in absolute glee. The illithid simply had to see its gladiator in action now. It looked about for a target, and spotted the partially cut cubby. A whole set of telepathic instructions roared into the Borough Warden's mind as the Illithid imparted mental images of the design and depth it wanted for the cubby. Belwar moved right in. Unsure of the strength in his wounded shoulder, the one guiding the hammer hand, he led with the pickaxe. The stone exploded into dust under the enchanted hand's blow, and the Illithid sent a clear message of its pleasure flooding into Belwar's thoughts. Even the armor of the Hookar would not stand against such a blow. Belwar's master reinforced the instructions it had given the Deep Gnome, then moved into an adjoining chamber to study. Left alone to his work, so very similar to the tasks he had worked at for all of the century of his life, Belwar found himself wondering. Nothing in particular crossed the Burrow Warden's few coherent thoughts. The need to please his illithid master remained the foremost guidance of his movements. For the first time since his capture, though, Belwar wondered. Identity? Purpose? The enchanting spell song of his mithril hands ran through his mind again, becoming the focus of his unconscious determination to sort through the blur of his captor's insinuations. Bivrip, he muttered again, and the word triggered a more recent memory, an image of a drow elf kneeling and massaging the god-thing of the illithid community. Drizzt? Belwar muttered under his breath, but the name was forgotten in the next bang of his pickhand, obliterated by the Sverfneblin's continuing desire to please his illithid master. The cubby had to be perfect. A lump of flesh rippled under the ebon-skinned hand and a wave of anxiety flooded through Drizzt, imparted by the central brain of the Mind Flare community. The drow's only emotional response was sadness, for he could not bear to see the brain in distress. Slender fingers kneaded and rubbed. Driz lifted a bowl of warm water and poured it slowly over the flesh. Then Driz was happy, for the flesh smoothed out under his skilled touch, and the brain's anxious emotions soon were replaced by a teasing hint of gratitude. Behind the kneeling drow, across the wide walkway, two illithids watched it all and nodded approvingly. Drow elves always had proved skilled at this task, and this latest captive was one of the finest so far. The illithids wiggled their fingers eagerly at the implications of that shared thought. The central brain had detected another drow intruder in the illithid webs that were the tunnels beyond the long and narrow cavern, another slave to massage and soothe. So the central brain believed. Four illithids moved out from a cavern, guided by the images imparted by the central brain. A single drow had entered their domain, so easy a capture for four illithids. So the mind flares believed. 